the Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book Four, Susan's Bridge. Chapter 13, Dark Hilltop. A long, cold hour passed. There was no sign of any new guardsman or movement across the highway. Charon signaled that it was time to move. They moved slowly, from pine to pine, pausing to look and listen. As the woods grew thicker, Charon kept a steadier pace, with fewer pauses. "'Why are we going to such a long way around to get to the top of the hill?' Susan asked. She didn't want to sound like she was whining, but could hear it in her own voice. It embarrassed her. Charon pointed at the hilltop. "'From up there, we can see if anyone's following our trail.' We need to dig in for an overnight. One of us sleeps while the other watches. A long rest sounded too good to be real. It also sounded dangerous. Overnight? Her mind quickly conjured up images of being grabbed while she slept. Uh, I'll be okay after uh, ten minutes. Uh, maybe five. She had no idea where she was going. Getting far from the guardsman was all that mattered. Nope, we need a proper rest to keep up a good pace. But they could find us. Uh, Fifteen minutes, then. Uh, that's a proper rest. From what I've seen of them, I don't think they'll be out in the dark. They might post pickets, thinking that we're back inside their noose. Slim odds they'll be out here tonight. If anything, they're still looking on the other side. I want to believe that, she said. But if they won't be out at night, maybe we should travel at night, gain an even bigger lead, uh, right? Charon shook his head. Even exhausted, you're still a ball of fire, eh? Two reasons to overnight up here. One, we can't use lights to travel, so we're much more likely to fall and get hurt. You won't get far on a broken leg. Two, we've lost some crucial core temperature with all this frolicking in the snow and ice water. Cold bodies move slower, make more mistakes. Need to warm up. Gonna have to make a small fire. Susan could feel her determination melt at the thought of an actual fire. It sounded luxurious. She had the little hobo stove that Martin gave her. She had only seen him use it once, but it was simple enough. What it needed was a lot of little fuel sticks. She began gathering as they walked. She looked for deadfall that got hung up in lower branches so it wasn't wet in the snow. She broke off dead pine branches. They burned eagerly. By the time they reached the top of the hill, she had an armful of dry branches. Charon moved sideways, back and forth, looking for the best view of the hillside and the highway beyond. Yeah, we don't want to set up on the actual top of the hill, he said. We'd show up in silhouette. This spot here's better, just down from the crest. He began digging the snow away, creating a six-foot circle. With the removed snow, he created a wall on the downhill side. "'You look like a kid making a snow fort,' said Susan. "'Well, some childhood skills are always good. Here, put your sticks here. Now, we need some pine boughs.' "'Right, I'm on it.' Susan took a careful four-step turn so as to not step on her own snowshoes. Again. She recalled passing a stand of younger pines— Fully needled branches would be within easy reach. 
With her big knife, she cut down an armload almost too big for her to carry. Yeah, what? Are you showing off? Charon asked. No, showing off would have been two armfuls. She dumped the load in the middle of the circle. The afternoon light was fading into evening gray. Charon strung their combined drone tarps over the cleared circle to make a wide lean-to. Two tall sticks provided a workable center space. He packed snow around the bottom edges to keep the colder night air out. The front of the tarp tent faced down the slope toward the highway. There was only a few inches between the top of the snow wall and the tarps, just enough of a slit to see down the hill. Susan dug out the hobo stove and set it on a log bed of branch ends. The fine pine twigs caught fire quickly. With her little cook pot set atop to boil some water, the little fire cast very little light. Charon handed her a small plastic package. Here, a packet of mystery orange drink. It's got vitamins and electrolytes and tastes somewhat like orange jello. Helps cover the taste that wild water can have, too. He kept watch over the snow parapet while Susan poured two cups of mystery orange. I really screwed up today, she said to her cup. I let it get to me. Dad, don't beat yourself up over it. Charon took a long sip. These things take time. The worst possible time, she grumbled. I was on my way back. I was almost there. Gotta play the cards you're dealt. Charon tipped the cup high to suck down the last drop. You should eat something, too, he said. He dug in his backpack and pulled out a protein bar. Oh, um, uh, I don't have anything with me. What? You should always have something to eat in your pack. Uh, I did, but, but I ate it. She tried to remember when that was, but the time and the memories seemed jumbled. There was food in the cab of the truck. Uh, we were going to eat some when we got over the border. Huh? Charon grumbled. Guess I can't come down too hard on you. I kind of did the same thing. I had my extra supplies in the jeep. Several of us were going to drive back. When the last truck got across. Yeah, that didn't quite work out. But I got another protein bar. He handed her a yellow and orange wrapped bar. There's a cache about ten miles from here, he said while chewing on the bar. Can restock then. Susan didn't realize how hungry she had become until she started chewing the protein bar. It was bland, with a dusty peanut butter flavor, but... It was the only thing she had eaten since the night before. The bar was gone before she knew it. Her stomach growled, demanding more. Besides, said Charon, you getting back inside the siege would be no prize. Despite present appearances, eh, you're better off, Susan grumbled. The daily chores of Cheshire seemed never-ending, the food scant and spartan, but she felt like she belonged there. People, and not just Martin, cared about her. I still wanted to go back. Well, getting back is darn near impossible now. He warmed his bare hands around the little can stove. Yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with this operation. Even if we hadn't been found out, like we were, the feds were going to find out soon enough. Had to. The plan included capturing and tying up two of the border guards. 
Just a matter of a shift change before the feds found out. Susan had been so focused on getting back to Cheshire that she hadn't wondered what would happen at the bridge after she got back to New Hampshire. What was supposed to happen to Mr. Davis and all the people at the camp? I mean, if things had worked out the way they planned, uh, they're all living right there. Yeah, well, we made a fake abandoned campsite at the gravel pit. Trash, enough ashes to look like several days of campfires, trampling, tent pole holes, the whole nine yards. The idea was to make it look like dozens of people lived in that gravel pit while working on the bridge, then bugged out on the trucks when the crossing was done. Plan for Davis and the camp folks was to go deep and stay hidden for weeks, if they had to. I assume that's what they're doing now. Susan poured herself another half-cup of mystery orange. It felt wonderful to have a hot drink in her hands. She warmed her fingers over the exhaust of the little stove. The numbness morphed into a tingling, mild pain, but she kept them in the heat. Got most of the truckloads in, though, Charon poured himself the last of the orange drink. He scooped snow into the cup and set it back over the fire. Even with all the supplies we got in, them folks in New Hampshire, yeah, they're going to have a really tough row to hoe. Yeah, literally. Hmm. Susan didn't interrupt her sip. Those trucks aren't going to solve their problem. Only last them a month or two. They're going to have to bust their butts to find enough local food to keep them alive while the crops are growing. Can't just devour their harvest either. Got to grow enough food for next winter, too. They could grow crops, Susan recalled Clyde and his cornfields, the hayfields, the orchards. Some, sure. It'll take more than a few hobby gardens growing tomatoes. New Hampshire hasn't really fed itself for maybe a uh, hundred and fifty years. There used to be a lot of farms in New England. Fields, pastures, orchards, raised livestock, too. Settlers cleared the forest, broke the ground. Picking rocks was an annual chore. That's where all these rocks for the rock walls came from. It was hard work raising crops in that rocky ground, but they did it because that's all there was. Work or starve. That is, until my home state, Ohio, and the Northwest Territories opened up in the early 1800s. People left behind the rocks and headed to the easy soil of the Midwest. Grain was so easy to grow in Ohio that folks back in New England stopped bothering to grow it. It was easier to buy grain from Ohio and have it carted in by railroad than it was to grow the grain locally. All those fields and pastures they'd cleared of stumps and rocks sat idle. Didn't take more than a generation before they became overgrown with trees. The forest reclaimed the land. There's farms and fields in Cheshire, Susan objected. Then they're lucky. But I'll bet there ain't enough tillable land to feed even the people that are still left there. Takes a lot of acres to feed even just a hundred people for a whole year. For all those people back in New Hampshire now, it's going to be like starting over. Have to cut down the forest again, pull the stumps again, clear the new rocks, plant and tend the crops. All that, and in just one season, mind you. No, sir, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes. But if the coalition did Operation Longbow, they could... Charon cut her off with a raised hand. Nope, this was a one-shot deal, and we knew it from the start. 
We knew the feds were going to clamp down hard afterward. They're going to make it impossible for anything like what we just did to ever happen again. Tyrants do nasty things when they're embarrassed. Oh, that fleet thing. Maybe that could work. Nope. The feds would throw everything they had to stop it. It's an ego thing now. This shot of food we got in today will be it, unless something radical changes. Don't see that happening. I think you might ought to be glad you're not stuck inside there. Tons of back-breaking work. Some of them are still likely to starve. They'll still be short of food, and another winter bearing down on them. Susan grumbled. Charon painted a bleak picture, but she still wished she was in Cheshire. Well, one of us needs to get some sleep. Do you want to go first? Are you kidding? I'm still all keyed up from running for my life. I can't sleep. All right, then. I'll go first. You're on watch. Keep your eyes on the highway and our hillside. Don't look at the fire. It'll kill your night vision for a good half hour at least. If you see anything, nudge me. If you feel like you're falling asleep, nudge me. Okay. Susan scooted a bit closer to the snow wall and peered into the darkening gray of evening. Charon settled into his sleeping bag. He was snoring softly within five minutes. How can anyone fall asleep that fast? She wondered. I might pass out from exhaustion, but I sure as heck couldn't just fall asleep. She cradled her warm cup of orangish flavored water in her fingers. In the dim light, the wide white swash of the interstate looked like a boundary line, another concentric ring marking her exclusion from New Hampshire. Even if she could get back across that line, avoiding the guardsmen who were looking for her, there was another line, the river. She heaved a heavy sigh. Things were definitely not going her way. A warm summer breeze pushed a fresh ocean smell between the cafe tables. Susan sat at lunch with someone she vaguely understood to be a co-worker from the bank. With her back to the water, Susan could see the waterfront reflected in the restaurant's windows. Long Wharf bustled with tourists disembarking from a tall white harbor cruise boat. When she looked up from her plate, a big, dark blue fishing boat's reflection filled the window. She knew that boat. It was waiting for her. She turned around quickly to look at the harbor. There was no blue fishing boat. Time to get up, said Charon quietly. He poked her back with a stick. Got some water on for tea. Gotta be dawn soon. Susan quickly realized that she was nowhere near the Boston waterfront, or summer. She was in a sleeping bag atop a remote hill in the dead of winter. She was glad the dream was interrupted. It was creepy, but at least it wasn't terrifying. She resisted the urge to stretch. Instead, she briefly savored the warmth of her cocoon. She reached down to the foot of the sleeping bag to pull up her heavy pants and wool socks. The snow pants, which spent the night on the top of the sleeping bag, would be stiff and cold. Charon spoke in low tones. They were still in hostile territory. Not much activity on my watch. Saw two patrols drive up and down I-91. First one at one thirty, 
second one at three. No searchlights, just driving slow. Don't suppose they've given up? Susan zipped up her heavy coat. Nah, not a chance. Yeah, tea's hot. Have some. It'll help fight the morning chill. Nah, this operation was a big blow to the feds. They're going to want prisoners to parade. They'll comb those woods until they find some. That's why we've got to break camp soon and get out of here. Only a matter of time until one of them figures out our trail from yesterday. The tea was too hot to drink, but made an excellent glove warmer. The steam felt good on her nose. The little tea that she did sip down made the dull ache in her stomach worse. She knew it was vain pride, but she wasn't going to ask Sharon if he had any more protein bars. The way he spoke the last night, it didn't sound like he did. The privations of several months of the outage had taught her to be patient. Reflecting back, there had been only a few scattered days that she had gone without at least one meal of some kind. In the yellow spill light from beneath the little pot of tea, Charon pointed to a spot on his topo map. There's a cache of supplies, here, by this lake. State forest land, stashed by local friendlies. It was part of the backup plan to the backup plan. Yeah, looks like we'll need them now. Susan frowned over the top of her metal cup. The line he traced was even farther west. It would take her even longer to get back to the river and then back into New Hampshire. Well, how far is that? Eh, maybe ten miles as the crow flies, but it'll feel like twenty over these old mountains. That sounds like a whole day to get there and back, she thought. Chug your tea, he said. He poured the remainder of the pot in his cup then tipped the hobo stove onto its side. He piled snow over the burning sticks and coals. The return to blackness was sudden. Gotta get this little camp broken down. Using her little red flashlight, Susan packed away her mess kit. She rolled the hobo stove in the snow until it was cool enough to pack. Charon unstrung the tarps and pulled the snow wall back over their layer of pine boughs. When the trackers do finally find our trail, there'll be no hiding that we overnighted up here. So we need to do some extensive hide work. Susan tied on her hemlock snowshoes. She shouldered her pack and slung her rifle over her shoulder. She was ready, but not all that eager. Charon used his red light to trace a line on the map. This here's the hill we're on now. We'll go down this slope, around here to avoid these buildings, and then over this knobby hill. Why go so far west? Because that's where the supply cache is. It's the way we're going. Susan frowned. I don't want to go west. What do you mean you don't want to? You're not still thinking you want to get back to New Hampshire. Uh, yes, I am. Didn't you listen to me last night? It's going to be really rough in there. I heard you. The smart thing to do is head back across upstate New York Back to the coalition. There are operatives stationed along the way and known friendlies. Probably won't have to camp outside again the whole way out. Susan stared at the ground without answering. She had never entertained the idea of leaving Cheshire for good. She'd left Cheshire intending to make things possible for the food trucks and then return. When she stood on the hilltop, she was still less than a day's walk from the border. Things are pretty good in the coalition states, comparatively, Charon said. 
The harvests are already in when the power went out, so grain elevators were full of grain. Still are, too, since the coalition didn't let the feds suck it all dry to feed their bottomless welfare state. No winter tomatoes from Chile or oranges from Israel, of course. But people have food. There's a couple of refineries that set up alternate power so they can run a few lines. Looks like there'll be fuel to get spring plowing and planting done. A couple of cities have even managed to rig up mini-grids off of the salvaged equipment. That's mostly for hospitals, but it shows what real hard-working Americans can do. Susan stood in the silence. Despite how hungry she was, it wasn't a question of who had the better or more plentiful food. I'm not saying that leadership would offer you a job or anything, but you got spunk. The coalition could use somebody like you. You'll be an asset to any community. Well, thanks, but I want to help the people of Cheshire. She rolled her jar of olives within her pocket. What? Weren't you? Charon sputtered. I already told you. There's no way to get back across the border. Or not from here. And not anymore. The feds are going to have extra guards at every crossing. Probably in the mood to shoot to kill. Well, there's got to be a way. She scowled like a child, confronted by Brussels sprouts. So what if there was? Say you do find a way to get across the river and get back. It'll be like I said. Those trucks of food will run out pretty darn quick. What are all those people going to eat while they bust their butts tilling the land to plant crops? Even if they get them planted, crops don't ripen until late summer at the soonest. Can't eat two-inch-tall corn plants. Besides, there ain't enough cleared land to feed them all anyhow. They're going to have to cut down trees, pull stumps, clear rocks, all before there's any crops to eat. You want to go back and pull stumps? If that's what it takes... Charon threw up his hands. Okay, I get it. You're loyal to the home folks. Yeah, that's great. I admire your dedication, but think about it. Be reasonable, will you? Susan could feel her jaw muscles tighten. That was a phrase that always pushed her buttons in the wrong way. The final moments of many old arguments drifted through her memory. Her mother often said, be reasonable, when she disagreed with one of Susan's decisions. Reasonable was a not-so-subtle dig that her choices were irrational, thoughtless caprices, while Susan always thought she had reasons for her choices. I am being reasonable, she said between clenched teeth. I have reasons. That makes it a reasonable decision. I want to go back to New Hampshire. Well, I'm not taking you back there, Charon stood with his fists on his hips. I missed the jeep. That means I got just two days to get to a rally point so I can get back to Ohio. You can get out, too. I'm not going to Ohio, she said with her fists on her hips. Susan and Charon stood on the hilltop, staring at each other with matching frowns. Did she want him to lead her back to the river, help her sneak across the bridge? She had no clear idea what exactly she expected him to do, but she was determined that she was not going to travel ten miles farther away from New Hampshire, let alone Ohio. Maybe that sixth box needs to be labeled mules, Charon growled. And what is that supposed to mean? Susan snapped. There was something worse than being labeled an ox. Mules are stubborn, 
He pulled his folded maps out of his vest pocket. He flipped to a page, then tore it out of the set. You'll need this. He held the map out for her to see while he pointed out features. The river's too cold to swim across, not frozen enough to walk across. Doubt you'll find a boat that you can get into the water by yourself without being seen. You'll have to get across a bridge, but, like I've been trying to tell you, the feds are going to have all the bridges locked down tight. That's your problem to solve, I guess. The feds might not be as thick up in Vermont. Your best bet might be this little hydro station at Vernon. It's not a bridge, per se, but there's always a walkway across the dam. Maybe fewer guards. Is he pointing these things out because he's changed his mind about leading me back to New Hampshire? She wondered. She took little comfort in that possibility, however. She noticed that he kept saying you and not we. If that doesn't pan out, there's a railroad bridge here, south of Brattleboro. Don't look at me, look at the map. Right here is the main bridge at Brattleboro, and another one north of town. After that, you have a long, long way north to find the next bridge. You keep saying you. You're not coming? Nope. His usual angry Doberman expression softened to something more spaniel-like. Yeah, look, I like you, Fireball. You keep surprising me, something people haven't done for a long time. You're tougher than a lot of the guys I've had to work with, too. But I got another operation to get to and only two days to get to the rally point for extraction. I'd like to help you out, but I got to go west. But... He began a multi-step turn, swinging his snowshoes clear of each other. Keep moving. Remember, they're looking for prisoners. Dead prisoners are just as useful for parade purposes. Better, actually. Stay on the high ground where you can see farther, but always just down from the actual tops. Best of luck to you, Susan. You're stubborn enough, you just might pull it off. Charon turned and waddled over the top of the hill, out of sight. Susan stood motionless, alone, in the pre-dawn woods, the map hanging from her hand. Sometimes when you take a stand, you stand alone, in the middle of nowhere. I'd like to give a shout-out to my two new patrons on Patreon, Mark from the floodplains of the Mississippi River and Catherine in Ireland, as well as Frank from the Big Apple and Kirk from I'm Thinking Minnesota, who are both new members at my Buy Me a Coffee page. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate the support. If others of you out there wanted to become patrons or buy me a coffee members, and you know you do, you can check out my Patreon page, just search for Mick Rowland, or my Buy Me a Coffee page, which is at buymeacoffee slash mickroland, all one word. Listener support makes this podcast possible. Thanks for listening.